Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. Hope everyone is, is having a fantastic start to their week. I know I've been spending a lot of time uh, in my own cage working with hitters, high school, college, um, even some pro guys who, are, who have been in and out of town recently. If you want to connect with me and, and work with me in person, send me an email, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com. Again, I've been working with a lot of hitters lately, so if you want to hit with me, send me an email, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com. On today's episode, we have Troy Merriman. Troy is currently the hitting coach at the University of Finley. He played at the University of Finley. Now he's coached there. He's been there for eight years. And he gives some really cool insight into not only how they do things at the University of Finley in this episode, but how the, the D2 landscape is laid out, how, what scholarships are like at the Division II level, how they allocate money at Finley. And then he gets into a little bit more in depth of you know, what specifically are they looking for out on the recruiting side. Once they get guys to campus, how do they go about trying to develop them and, and you know, do they utilize the transfer portal? So we, can, we get into a lot of different areas of, of a college program in this episode. I think it's going to be very beneficial for, for parents, uh, players out there, and even coaches maybe at other schools, given, given you, know, you you all ideas on what you can um, can do and, and maybe take something and help out your program. So if you haven't, please make sure to subscribe, rate, leave a review on iTunes. Um, you know, I, I you know I'm not running any ads on the show right now. So if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy this episode, please share it with somebody. Please share it. That's how the, this grow. This show is going to grow. It's going to be organic. So if you enjoy the podcast, if you enjoy this episode, please just share it with one person who you think could get some benefit out of it. Ladies and gentlemen, here is now my episode with Troy Merriman. All right, we now welcome on Troy Merriman. Troy, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So you've been uh, at the University of Finley for a long time as a, as a player and now as a coach, too. Um, what, what's been something that, it, that stands out at University of Finley that you feel like is unique to any other school out there? Especially, let's just start like in the, in the Division II world because you guys are Division II. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have, I've been at Finley for eight years. Like you said, it's been a long time. Um, I say one of the things, you know, when I was being recruited uh, to, to different schools, a lot of my visits and offers were in the Division II game. And so I, I got a chance to see some other Division II schools and how they operated. Um, and I remember coming on my visit to Finley and just the people were incredible. Just everybody was so welcoming, felt like home away from home. And so I think like one of the things that makes Finley so special is the people that that are here, not only just in the athletic department, um, the academic side, um, support staff around campus. Um, it, it's been that way for all my eight years here, and I've loved every second of it. And so I think that, you know, that's one of the biggest things, especially at small schools, to attract, you know, quality players is you've got to have the right people in place. And that that's, you know, set aside again from just our coaching staff, which obviously they spend a lot of time with us, but they spend just as much time in the academic side. They spend a lot of time with, you know, our administrators. And so as long as you've got a, a good group of people, you know, it works. And so that's that's one of the things I think it really makes makes it special is is the people. We've got a great little campus. And so 
um, that's obviously a draw as well. But um, yeah, I love, love the people here, very welcoming and um, definitely is a, a good place and home away from home for, for a lot of guys. So how does uh, Division two scholarships work? Because in Division one, it's 11.7. And I believe the lowest you can offer someone is 25 percent. Can't go any lower than that. And you can do 100 if you want to, but it's all sure. percentage based. Yeah. What's it like? What's the situation like at the Division two level when it comes to scholarships? Yeah, scholarships are are, are unique in the Division two level, to say the least. Um, so fully funded Division two schools are nine scholarships. Um, so like, you know, two and a half or 2.7 less than Division one. So we're working with a little bit less as far as um, as that's concerned. Um, a lot of schools aren't fully funded either. And so um, partial scholarships are, you know, the only scholarships that, that most Division two schools are, are offering. Um, you know, I know for us and in, in the way that we we operate, we have a range. So we have like a, a small scholarship to a big scholarship and guys can fall somewhere in that that range. Um, there's no limit on what we can offer. So we can go as low as a thousand dollars if we want to. Um, and so that's kind of that makes it good for us, because if there's a kid that, you know, we want to get, we can throw him a little bit of money if he's a walk on other places to say he's on scholarship if we see a higher end guy we'll go higher end in our range um so it's just you know it, it's kind of trying to figure that out and obviously the financial aid part with academics is huge here at finley and i know at a lot of division two schools so if you've got good grades that helps take some money off of that and then we can kind of give an offer based off of you know how much they're getting off academically um but yeah it's it, it's it's tricky sometimes you know when we're when we're kind of going through those numbers because we have a limited amount of scholarships. And so we want to maximize the, the money that we have for players that are coming in. And also hopefully if there's some guys on our current roster that need to be, you know, bumped up based on performance, if they were a small scholarship guy and then got into a starting role, whatever it might be, we, we like to, you know, reward those guys, so to say. And so that's, that's pretty much the way, the way it works for the most part, but uh, it's, it's it's tricky but we've we've got a pretty good system going on right now and um usually the guys that we offer scholarship to at least on the the bigger end are guys that we feel you know can have an immediate type impact in, in our program potentially as a, a freshman and, and so on like that so that's kind of how it works for us so if you give someone like let's say ten thousand dollars can they take that ten thousand dollars and spend it on tuition or can they do it on room and board? Like, is it up to them how they spend it at the school? Yeah. So, I mean, the, it just like, it's all thrown into their, their financial aid package. So when they get their money from financial aid or what they're getting through academics, grants, things like that, th then our money stacks on top of that. So then it, it pretty much just takes like the, you know, the, the bottom line down a little bit. And so um, it's, it's can be used. It's going to be used. However, the, school allots it you know to be and so at the end of the day or start of the semester you know each guy's this is how much money you're you owe for this semester and so it just kind of all gets lumped in lumped in together so um, there's not really like a a certain place that it goes or I don't necessarily think guys get to you know choose how, how the money's allocated um, but yeah the the number is going to get smaller and smaller as the scholarship increases obviously so okay yeah, it's it. Uh, the scholarships in, you know, division one, division two, I feel, I mean, it just, it, 
there's not really like one place that people can go and parents and kids that can go that like it, it says all this information right. in a clear, no, 100%. you know, like I've even called the NCAA before about certain questions and everything is so vague, even <laughs> just a lot of the rules, you know what I mean? I mean, it's right. kind of like, yeah, they wait for you to, to, you know, to break a rule and then they're all over you. It's like, well, if you just would have told me to begin with, I maybe sure. would have known what's going on. Right. And I think like, and on that, that same side, like, I think a lot of the schools, you know, they kind of can choose how they want to do it with scholarships. And obviously the amount of scholarships you have is based off of the support you're getting from the school. And so I think that's probably why the NCAA is just kind of like, Hey, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to leave it up to the schools to kind of, you know, do what they want with it and how it fits into their financial aid system. And so um, I think ours is pretty common with the rest of our conference, as far as stacking scholarships on academic money and and things like that there's there's quite a few schools in our conference that that do that and that helps a lot because if you give a baseball scholarship and it doesn't stack it's absorbing all of that money that they're getting and so tech year you either have to offer a scholarship as much as their academic package because if you don't then that money just gets absorbed because you can't stack but that's not how it is at Finley we can stack it combine it some schools can't and so, so you, when you say stack it you mean combine their academic and athletic correct Correct. Yep. And so there's, there's some schools I know, I don't know any particular, I know that there's a few that, that don't have the stackable money. And so that makes it more trick, that makes it trickier, you know, on them, because if, if a kid's getting, let's say $12,000, if they want to offer a scholarship, it's got to be at least $12,000 or more, because if you offer less then you're not stacking it. So they're only getting the $8,000 scholarship and they're losing out on $4,000 that they could have got if you didn't offer scholarship. So thankfully, Finley, we can, stack so that makes the packages seem a lot bigger you know as far as the the money you're getting you're getting potentially fifteen thousand from academics maybe eight to ten thousand from us that's a, a pretty hefty scholarship on top of you know some other grants or whatever and, and makes the the cost a lot more you know competitive in our our conference so Troy, I remember before we, we started recording this, you were talking about you know you guys had a, a new head coach this past year and last mm -hmm. summer you you did all the recruiting by yourself. Um, what what did you learn from doing <laughs> doing the recruiting outside of probably like the you know crazy tournaments and travel and everything? I mean, what what takeaways did you have from watching and evaluating players and just kind of the whole nine yards? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so yeah, I mean, thankfully I grew up around the game, so my dad's been been a coach my entire life. So I've you know I've always been at games, I've watched games, I, I've known how to you know, recruit, what are the etiquette, things like that. Um, I would say probably the thing I learned most is, you know, one, you know, following, sometimes it's, it's easier to follow players. So like finding, like I was trying to last summer be like, okay, these are some guys, like guys that I've seen video on or guys that I know I would like to see. So I'm going to find those teams and then kind of follow those guys. And, um, and that worked for me just because, you know, there wasn't two of us out there. And so I felt like I needed to be more specific with, who I was watching. I didn't want to go to games where I wasn't going to be able to see somebody that, that I could recruit because it was just me and I didn't want to waste any of my, my time and, and resources. So that's what I did last summer. I, now this summer we've got um, me and then our other two coaches, uh, Brian Mikowski and coach Palm as well. So there's three of us that are on the road now. So now I feel like we're, we are able to target players, but we're also able to see teams that we want to see as well. And so I, I don't necessarily feel as bad. I won't feel as bad this summer if I see a game that, there's not a recruitable player. Cause I'm like, okay, I know there's two other guys that are out there as well. And so that that's probably 
Um, one of the things I'd say the other thing I learned is uh, just like using my resources as far as other coaches. So I felt like I, I networked and met a lot of guys last summer, talked to them, asked them questions, kind of what do they do? Um, and, and really like one of the best ways to learn is by doing it right making mistakes. And so I felt like last summer probably could have done some things differently as far as, um, and some of it probably was more organizational things. So like if I, so if I went to a tournament and I saw whatever, 18, 18 games over the course of three days, so that was at a few different places. I didn't feel like last summer I did a good job of streamlining all of that streamlining all of that information um, on the players that I was watching. So like I had just had a, a million papers, you know, and I had a bunch of highlights and notes, but I didn't do as good of a job last summer as getting that in one place where I could say, okay, I've seen this guy, I've seen him here. This is a potential scholarship guy, you know, just kind of going through that, that whole process. I didn't, that, and that was probably because I was by myself. I didn't have to share the information with anyone else. Now with, with the three of us, you know, we have to share, we share each week, you know, in our, our recruiting meeting after the weekend, we say, Hey, these, these are who guys that we saw, we liked, these are the teams that we saw need to see again. And we'd like to see this guy throw, um, you know, whatever it might be. So I, I'm really fortunate to have had the experience last summer of doing it on my own, because I think I, it helped prepare me for um, now having, you know, more help on, on the recruiting side and, um, and all that. So I, yeah, it was, it, it was tricky at times. It was, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I love, I love the recruiting part of, of the game. It's one of my favorite parts of, of coaching. I really enjoy interacting with the, the high school guys and their families. And it, it's, it's, it's a fun, fun experience for me. So I've really enjoyed the, the recruiting part of it and I love watching baseball. So, you know, it's a, it's a win-win situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. What yeah. you mentioned there, um, recruitable player in your eyes, what, what is that? What does a recruitable player mean? Yeah, I guess I'm at more maybe like scholarship type player. Um, yeah. but even, you know, like in, and when you and I had talked last week, you had asked me, what are some of the differences between division one, division two, II, division three. Yeah. And like I said, there's, it, it's not a, a huge jump. I mean, there are some guys that we recruit that we feel like could potentially be, you know, a division one type player. They've got the tools, maybe they just haven't put it together, not consistent. Um, so I guess for us in our recruiting, like we're looking, we're, we're obviously trying to find scholarship players. Um, if there are guys that we feel like maybe, you know, haven't developed quite yet, but they have a, a, a few tools that we really like, we think we could develop. Those that would be that fall into our recruitable category could be a walk on for us or, you know, things like that. And so the recruitable players go from scholarship guys to walk on guys that and, and again, that that's kind of where we feel that they're at present day. So if there's a guy who we feel like we're going to have to offer eight thousand dollars to get, you know, he, he's a high end scholarship guy. If there's a guy who we're like, man, this guy's got he's quick, he can run, just he hasn't put the bat with it yet or he's really great defensively needs to work on the stick. Um, might be a walk-on type player for us, but again, anybody that we recruit into the program, um, our goal is to develop them into guys that, that hopefully can help us down the road. And so, um, yeah, that, that would kind of be what falls into our, you know, recruitable player, you know, type guys. But obviously, um, you know, we have to bring in a certain number of, of guys, or we've got to have a certain number of guys on our roster. And so some of that, you know, goes into play as well with, with the walk-ons and scholarship guys that we feel like, you know, can, can help help our team in, in some way so how many guys can you have on a roster uh at Finley we have that 42 if they at least have 42 guys on the roster we typically carry somewhere between 45 and 50 just depending on on the year and the recruiting class and what we've lost the year before um we like having a little bit 
higher than our number because it allows us to inter squad quite a bit. So that's that's one thing we do in the fall a lot is is um, we inter squad at least three times a week, uh, even if it's just a quick little three inning inter squad where we've got a couple of arms that, that need to throw an inning a piece. Uh, and then on the weekends we we play a little bit more extended um, games as well. So having a little bit bigger roster like that allows us to field pretty much two full teams with pitching staffs. Um, and last year, which I really enjoyed, and that I I assume we'll do again uh, this fall, but each week our coaching staff drafted players. And so um, they were two, di- like the teams were different each week. And so guys were playing with different guys, which I think is important. You don't want to, you know, stick with just all one team for the whole fall. You want to play with other guys, see how other guys do things. That helps with communication as well. When you're, you know, in the infield and you've got different middle guys, communication has to be different if it's a different player. Um, and so, you know, that that's that's one reason why we like to have, you know, a little bit bigger roster so we can, you know, do those things and have those have that flexibility in the fall to, to play as much as we, we can based off of the, the amount of pitchers that we have. So what's a typical day for you like uh, during fall ball? So we typically start practice about 3.30 p.m. Usually we'll start early work an hour before. So early work for us is just, you know, if guys aren't, aren't in class and they, they want to come out and get some extra reps on the infield, they want to get some extra swings, um, whatever it might be, take some extra time to stretch. So guys kind of can use that that early work period however they want. It's not, not a required part of our practice just you know a way for guys to get some you know some extra things outside of practice so um we have that and then we'll usually start about 3 30 um you know depending on the day if it's not a inner squad day we'll probably do some team defense work um do a lot of base running stuff especially in the fall it's a big big thing for us um we implemented some new things with our, our base running which was exciting so um do a lot of reps with that um take bp um you know, we do a lot of coach pitch, like sim game scrimmages. So coach will throw, we've got two teams. So guys are running on and off the field, running bases, outfielders have to throw, you know, infielders have to, you know, make, make good throws, quick feet, things like that with runners involved. Um, so we do a lot of that, you know, throughout the, uh, the fall and in different days, again, just depending on, on what it is, but a lot of our practice is geared around um, competition, of course, but you know, if we, if it's an inner squad day, everything's going to kind of, you know, be, you know, under that umbrella. So if we're going to inner squad that day, we, we may take BP like we would for a game, may take a quick IO um, or just do some ground ball, fly ball stuff to get guys ready. So we're going to try to simulate the game as much as possible, even on those inner squad days. Um, and like I said, we're doing that about three times a week. So usually we are doing one day during, during the week. And then the weekend we'd go both either Friday, Saturday or Friday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, just depending on weather. So um, and then obviously as the fall progresses, pitch counts rise, obviously the guys start, you know, somewhere around the 20, 30 range guys are going to be prepped for a starter role. They may get up to, you know, 60, 70 by the end of the fall. Um, and so then that will extend the amount of days that we play. So that's one of the things that, that we did last year that I liked a lot of that prepared our guys very well for the spring and, and competition um, is, is a huge part of, of what we do. How do you go about, individualizing and this is like such a huge word i kind of i need to think of a better <laughs> word than just individualize how do you go about like helping players maybe develop like hitters develop within that team setting where you know obviously troy you're only one guy you got all these guys out here you only have so much time because they have classes and things like that and you have recruiting and all this other stuff going on so how do you still help them 
uh, continue to, to develop. And obviously the game will do that too, but mm-hmm. is there, is there a system that you, you kind of have to make sure everyone gets some, some time and knows what they need to work on? That's a, that's a really good question. And honestly, if, if anybody has a, an answer to that, I'd love to know because it is very, very tricky, especially when, you know, we're in the midst of the fall and we're trying to implement some team defense stuff and, you know, we've got to go quick, you know, we're trying to keep the pace fast and, and slow down when we're teaching, but when it's drill work, we want guys to be fast paced as they would in the game. Um, so it, it is tricky. It, it really is. That's one of the things that, you know, when we bring recruits on campus, I always talk to them about, you know, what we do as far as um, coaching, like how, like how are we going to coach you when you get here? Um, and I think for us, that one of the things that we do that works really well for us is um, we do a lot of individual like training periods. And so at least once or twice a week, we're going to go away from the team practice and do individual work, either based off skill position. Um, maybe we'll, we'll split, you know, groups of different hitters. If it's a hitting day, if it's a defense day, we may have all the fielders come at one time, outfielders, catchers. Um, and we feel like that's a really, really good way for us to coach guys in, on a smaller scale, right? So instead of having three coaches and, you know, 47 players, we've got one coach and four players or one coach and five players. And so we're able to kind of reach them a little bit better in that way. Also, the early work that we have before practice is really great for, you know, one-on-one type work. So if the guys in the field needs to work on stuff, we can watch, we can see what they're doing. We can say, hey, this is this is what you're doing. Um, I'd say probably the, the thing, at least on the hitting side, that, that works for us, kind of trying to individualize, like you said, during team practice um, is video. So we're going to try to get video as much as we can. Um, and again, we're obviously limited because there's three of us and pitching coach is working with, he's doing side pens. One of us is throwing BP. One of us might be, you know, out in the outfield talking to guys, getting reads or talking to infielders, doing double plays. Um, so we, we got to, we invested in an iPad and tripod this last year. So there are times that we can set up the tripod, just let it run while guys hit so we can see stuff, um, you know, and so that's probably the easiest way, you know, for a small school with a small staff to maximize the time is, is just set something up, let it run. And then we can go through and cut stuff, look at stuff. Um, Cause there are some times where if I'm throwing a coach Palm throwing and one of us is doing something else, it's hard for us even to like watch each guy hit, you know, depending on like if I'm hitting fungos to the infielders, you know, when he's throwing VP, our pitching coach is doing side pens. Like it's not always like, I'm going to look at, certain like when guys are hitting I'm gonna see a couple swings but I'm not gonna watch there's little time that I'm watching you know a full round from the side where I can see what guys are doing so that's why the video helps us with that because it's it's sitting there and and getting stuff that I can't you know see each second of of the guys round during batting practice whatever it might be so the video is good and and that's probably the easiest way for us to be able to get a one-on-one type coaching with the guys but most of those conversations again are going to happen that night or the next day, right? So it's not even on site, um, which sometimes is good. Uh, it allows the guy to watch the video, see what they see, and then I get to hear their input and then get mine and okay, we can go back and forth that way. But yeah, I'd say that's probably the the, the easiest thing for us to be able to, to do to maximize our, our staff and resources. Troy, it's funny when I, when I hear of, of, of not just coaches, but I hear of, you know, parents and players and everybody, even older players talk about the importance of, of the mental side of the game, right. And training that. And it's fascinating to me because it's one thing you really just can't quantify. And, you know, there's so many things we can measure in baseball, but we can't really mm-hmm. quantify 
you know, how good someone's mental game is, I guess you could see it from some people with how they deal with failure, but sure. How do you, how do you go about helping these guys deal with that side of the game? And this is where I, I I've always been uh, like, like connected to or attracted to older coaches in the sense of, you know, they, they usually have some, some good wisdom when it comes mm-hmm. to the mental, because they've been doing it for so long. What, what stuff do you guys do or what stuff do you like to do having been a player yourself and now coach too, to help players with that side of the game? Yeah, it's a great question. Honestly, it's one of my favorite parts of, of the job is I'm a huge relationship guy. I really enjoy building relationships. And so I think for us, um, you know, and the thing that, that works for our guys is obviously when we're recruiting, we're recruiting them, we're building relationship with them. You know, as they commit, sign, come to campus, that relationship grows as we see them, you know, every day for the most part. And so I think one of the things, you know, that that's really important on that side of it is, you know, creating a, a culture of, you know, vulnerability within the program. So guys feel comfortable to come talk to me if something's going on or Coach Palm in, in the same way. Um, so and that's something that you have to establish through, you know, communication, you know, and, and more so than just, you know, on the baseball side. I mean, I try to at least talk to few guys before practice hey how's your day how are classes how's family how's everybody doing how are you doing you know because a lot of guys obviously you're home you're away from home for the first time in your life some guys a little bit farther away from home than others and so um I think just like talking with the players I honestly I mean as as, you know as vague as that sounds um I don't necessarily you know I'm not a a counselor so you know I'm not a professional in in the the mental health side of you know the of life but you know, I think that the guys understand that, you know, we care about them more than just what they bring to our program on the baseball field, right? We care about who they are as a person. We care about their education and we want to pour into those guys, um, all those, those different buckets. And so they don't just feel like, you know, our love for them is based off of how they perform on the field, because if that's the case and they have a bad day, then they think that, that we don't like them anymore, right? That's just kind of, you know, the way it works for a lot of, a lot of guys that, that put their value and worth in in their performance. And so we try to talk with our guys more than just, you know, in a baseball setting, like, you know, my, I tell everybody, my office door is open. Come see me anytime I'm in here. Coach Palm's the exact same way. So um, that helps with the, the players feeling comfortable to come and talk to us if there is an issue. And I, and I felt like this last year, we had more guys come and do that than any other year before. And I think that's just kind of the, the culture that we're trying to promote and build is that, you know, if something's going on, it's okay to talk to I mean, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be a tough guy. You're not just because you're, you're struggling with something doesn't mean that you're, you know, that, that there's something wrong with you. everybody right. goes through those times. And so it's just like opening that dialogue, I think is, is the biggest thing because guys have to trust you too. I mean, if, if they don't trust you, then they're not going to come and talk to you. And so I think that just trying to build that level of trust through, uh, through relationships and, you know, caring about them more than just what they bring to our baseball program specifically on the baseball field as long as they know that we're you know we're, we're going to pour into them in different avenues of life um I feel like that that's that's been a good thing but I mean you also do have to check up on guys too because there are some guys that put on the face at, at practice that everything's cool and then you hear from you know other guys that something might be going on and so um trying to just talk with every guy at some point throughout you know a two-day period even if it's just a quick back and forth to see it just to see if I can get a gauge on where they're at, how they're doing, how school going, any big tests coming up, 
that that might go into their their stress level in their their um in their head and so um yeah just try and we try and do that a little bit um you know and that's that's one of the things i really enjoy the most about you know the coaching part is just building relationships with players and so that's that seemed to you know have, have has been good the last few years and um we'll obviously continue to to do that for every you know guy that we bring in here being being vulnerable is oh my it's it's so important and i'm glad you mean you brought up a lot of really good points there and i see that from time to time too where it's like guys they put on that tough guy look that everything's okay and yeah, yeah. if you think about it really the tough guy is the guy who's vulnerable and is the sure. guy who's you know be like hey like right now i'm struggling a little bit you know like yeah. we all do you know i mean right. we're as human beings <laughs> i mean it, it's literally impossible for us to go through life and not have some some struggles so it, it's good to to you know it you know open up sometimes and and talk about it and i think the other thing that you know you don't hear people talk about is you, know, you talked to it about you know building relationships with guys and guys coming in and talking to you you know there's a that transition from you know living at home to now you know going to school somewhere else and being in a completely new environment and all these things too and and for you know some kids had make that transition smoother than others, yeah. you know, being away from home for the first time. So I, I think that there's a, there's so many things going on and they're, as they're transitioning that, that affects, you know, that affects their play on the field or it affects them in the classroom. It, so, I mean, I think that's something that if you can help them get comfortable and, and like you mentioned their trust, I mean, it all comes down to that at the end of the day. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. hundred percent. No, that's, that you're, you hit on all those exactly right. And then throw in the social media part too, right? So there's there's all that plus social media now is, is so big, especially in this younger generation. Um, you know, the posts and the likes and the, you know, the gratification they get from that, the comparison that they have to other guys. Um, and so, yeah, they've got a lot. There's a lot of, you know, things that, that are going into young guys' bubbles now, right? And so um, it's just trying to navigate that for us and and just have those conversations, talk with them, let them know that, that we, we love them and care for them more than, than the baseball part. And, um, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of guys and we've helped a lot of guys too, like through things, which, you know, maybe you don't get if you don't have conversations with them or, or you don't let them know that your door's open whenever. Right. And so it's just trying to be conscious of that stuff. And um, it's obviously really important, right? I mean, it's, it's incredibly important. And like you said, it, it does dictate, you know, their everyday life, it dictates their performance. Um, and so, you know, with something that we as a coaching staff, you know, and coaches just in general have to be, you know, extremely, you know, aware of, you know, when you're bringing guys in and, you know, obviously the guys that you already have on your, your own team. So you mentioned social media there. How often do you utilize social media for recruits or transfers and just kind of the everything out there when it comes to what it can do? I mean, there's positive, there's pros and cons to it, of course, but sure. How do you utilize it? Short answer every day. We, we use it every day. Um, I keep you know, hearing that from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, it's a great, it's an unbelievable tool. I mean, just to like, like even just from last weekend, I mean, I was at Kent state watching, you know, I think I saw six games in two days, um, you know, and then I, I was in a wedding on Saturday, so I couldn't be there on Saturday, but there's, you know, there's companies that are taking videos of guys and posting them. There's like, you know, PBRs everywhere, posting stuff on Twitter, you know, they're, they're PBR is incredible. I mean, they're incredibly active there at the state tournament, taking all these videos, like they're always, you know, pushing the, the player. And so um, it, it's 
the social media is an unbelievable tool and we utilize it a lot. I mean, both coach Palm and I are active on Twitter. And so, you know, we see videos of guys, we follow guys that, that we like, we want to see video. Obviously PBR is, is really important, you know, for us to, to target players and, um, you know, to see some, some, you know, maybe some measurables that we'd like to see, but, um, yeah, we, we utilize a lot. I mean, the big thing for us, obviously, is to see guys in person, want to see them play in a game. That's, that, that will never change. I mean, we're never going to just strictly recruit from, you know, our phone. That's, but it does help with, man, oh, I saw this video of this guy. Do you see this? What do you think? I can send it to him. He can send it to me. We can look. We're like, oh, we like that. Let's go see him in a game. So it's not all that, it's not all that we use. I mean, we utilize it every day, but, you know, we're not relying strictly on video that's, that we uh, the 30 second clip we found on Twitter, right? Or we're not, you know, we're not living and dying by anything on that end. We're, our biggest thing is we need to see them first. So that's why we utilize it for finding players, utilize for finding teams, whatever it might be, communicating. Um, and then, you know, then we go onto the, the field and see them play. And, and that's, that's a huge part of our level to, to be able to see them, you know, in game play. That's, that's big. So. So it's, it's kind of just like a, a resume, right? The, that video yeah. where it gets you interested. You're yeah. not going to get the job by just looking at your resume, but you right. probably you might get an interview, right? Where you go sure. watch them play. Now, what, what, goes, what goes into uh, or what, what do you think about kids tagging you on posts? Um, Are you in on I mean, that? <laughs> I don't. I, it doesn't bother me as much. It sometimes bothered me. It might bother me a little bit, like when they tag like Ohio State, Kent State, you know, and like every Finley, school and in I'm Ohio. Like, and I'm like, okay, like what? I mean, what are we doing here? Like, you know, we're, we're not. If you're getting looks by those schools, you know, probably not gonna tag us. And so, but again, I I don't care because I like to sit. Like, I appreciate guys like trying to get you know market themselves. I think that's a, a really big part of recruiting, right? Like, you got to stand out. You got to. You know, if you go to a showcase with with 70 guys, how are you going to be remembered? What Are you going to do something that's different? Are you going to wear something that's different? Um, and so I think social media is kind of the same thing. You're just trying to get attention. You want you want somebody to see this video. Um, and I mean, anytime I get tagged in something, I'm going to look at it for sure. Um, but yeah, that doesn't that doesn't bother me as much. I don't I know some coaches are like, oh, don't do that. But it, I don't care. I, I, I appreciate the the player, you know, trying to, you know, get his name out there, try to get some eyes on the video. And so you know, I respect that completely and, and don't think that there's nothing wrong with, with doing it. It's just maybe like, you know, <laughs> don't tag every school in Ohio, right. Or don't tag like Vanderbilt baseball and then feeling like, you know, it's like, like, let's be strategic with who, who you want to see your, you know, your stuff. And I think that's, that's a huge part with recruiting right now um, is, you know, and just as an example, I, I got an email from a player not too long ago and, said, Hey coach, we'd love for you to come out and see me play. Here's my summer schedule. And every one of their tournaments is, is in Tennessee or Georgia or Florida. Like, you know, like we're not going to recruit down there because we're going to recruit the guys in this region that we can have a chance to keep here. Right. Like we're not going to go compete with schools down in South, even just a bit two schools down there. So I think that, that you have to be really conscious of that as a, you know, in the recruiting process for the players to like, who am I trying to market myself to? Right. Like, that goes back to don't, don't tag Vanderbilt, you know, Wake Forest and Finley, right? Like if you want to market yourself to small college schools in Ohio, then market yourself to small schools in Ohio. Don't, you know, don't do, you don't have, you can't have both sides of it. So I, that's, that's probably the only thing that I would say that I'm like, sometimes it's like, eh, maybe let's, let's cut back on that a little bit, but 
Um, if it's just that, one or two, no if it's like you and maybe one other school would be yeah. okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't care if it's like they do us, Tiffin, you know, a school in our conference. Ohio, like, I don't care about any of that. Like, hey, cool. Let, let yourself, you know, be seen by as many coaches as you can. Um, it's just like, hey, if, if you feel like you're a small college player, then mark yourself accordingly, right? Everybody wants to, you know, everybody's hanging on to, to Division One, which is it's totally fine. I think I should, should totally have those goals. I had those goals as a player as well. It's what, you know, helps drive you and to, and to make you better. Uh, but at some point, you've got to say, okay, like these are schools I've heard from. These are the schools that I know are interested. The, those are the schools that I want to market myself or schools like that, that I want to market myself to, um, you know, and, and kind of go from there. So I'd say that that's probably the, the one thing. But yeah, I've got no problem with it overall. Yeah. And that's the thing too is, I mean, even if you're not getting recruited by division one schools and, and maybe you are more of a small school player right now, it doesn't mean right. that you can't play at the division one level. I mean, hell, I had a kid last year when I was with the Orioles. We drafted him out of division two school and he's tearing it up. He's in high A right now in professional baseball. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it really, it doesn't necessarily matter. Part of it is, is timing, right. Of, of, you know, maybe, you know, when you're being seen or when you develop, I mean, there, I mean, you know, there's just, there's so many things that go into it, but just because you're not getting looks from division one player, I think it was coach Corbin. I heard him say a couple of years ago, you know, there's a ton of players, division one who should be playing division three and, ton of players division three who could easily be playing division one and so yep. it's the same thing with d2 and d3 where it's you know i mean it's just when do you guys start looking at players specifically division two level i assume it's not as early as you know <laughs> some of these other schools definitely not definitely not that early um you know i would say for us the this is like the summer going into their senior year is the is the the big time for division two division three schools to recruit um you know we did actually target you know a few guys that we had seen the summer before or at a showcase um like after the first of the year so the after the first of the year of their junior year we brought in eight recruits to campus to visit um and obviously like knowing that we were going to want to see them again but just to have started that that recruiting process a little bit earlier that's the earliest since I've been a coach, just finished my fourth year. That's the earliest that I, we've ever recruited um, for that that next upcoming senior class was in January, bringing in those eight guys. So um, that's probably the the thing we'll continue to do. We actually did end up signing a guy um, in March, so it it did work. We got a, a good pitcher that we feel like is is going to be pretty good, and it was in March of his junior year. That's that's the earliest that you know we've ever signed. And so the the majority of Division two schools maybe are going to sign a couple guys you know, before the summer of their senior year, but most of the, the work is going to come from the summer. Um, and then a lot of guys will start taking their, their visits in the fall uh, and kind of go from there. And so if they're, uh, you know, and, and we actually had, I mean, we just signed another kid yesterday for the 22 class. We, we've signed like four or five kids since the first of the year. Um, like just for this 22 class. So like we even had guys who were kind of late bloomers, right? So we're always looking for that too, guys that kind of maybe went under the radar through the, the summer, through the fall, maybe had a big jump in the winter, you know? And so, you know, we've, we've signed a couple kids like that, that we're, we were pretty excited about that maybe weren't guys last summer, but they, they got bigger, they got stronger, they had a jump somewhere. Um, and then they become a guy that, that we want to go after. And so that, that happens for us. Now we're officially done with the 22 class. 
um, and, and setting our sights on 23, but we'll, we'll recruit the class pretty much up until, you know, June of that year, even for guys that would come that fall and fall. Um, but yeah, again, it's just, it just depends on, on the, the players and stuff. And obviously, like you had said with, you know, coach Corbin saying guys can play, you know, division one guys should be division three and vice versa. Um, a lot of that, at least in the last couple of years has been because of COVID, right? I mean, there's a, like rosters are jammed. There's guys that are getting their COVID year coming back. So that we've seen, I think that that's helped the division two, division three level to get really quality players because, you know, schools in like in, in the Mac, for instance, for us, just because it's, it's local um, guy that might be able to fit into that, that conference or fit into a school in the Mac, maybe they can't take them because they've got, you know, they're full. They, they got, they've got all their guys coming back. They don't have any scholarships to give. And so maybe we can go get, you know, a guy like that. So I think COVID has been a really big impact on, on rosters, on where guys fit and um, probably benefits the small school, division two, division three type school more so um, than, than anybody just because the, the quality of players that, that might fall because of the, the jammed rosters. Do you guys utilize the transfer portal at all? We have not. We have not gotten into it. We've got one kid that transferred here last year. Um, he played in the summer with one of our guys, and, and he fit a, you know, a need that we we had in the outfield. Um, but yeah, we we're pretty committed to bringing in high school players and developing high school players. That's one of our our things that we want to do, and that's what we tell you know the high school guys that we bring in because they, I mean, the the recruit they're not stupid. I mean, they know the transfer portal. They know you know, that a lot of schools are, are plucking guys from that, which is, is, is totally fine. Um, but they've got like pretty much every recruit that we've had in the last year has asked us about the transfer portal, right? They're like, do you guys get into the transfer portal? Do you, you know, do you recruit this? Do you recruit that? Um, and, and we tell them no, because we want guys to feel comfortable that they're going to develop and have a chance to play here, not be replaced by somebody um, from another school that we're going to bring in to, to play in that spot. Well, we want guys to be able to want, and know that if I go to Finley, I'm going to, I'm going to get developed and I'm going to have a chance to, to fight for the position that I'm at. Right. And so um, we're committed to bringing in and, and developing high school guys and, and we'll, we'll probably stay that way for the, you know, for the time being. If, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, if you're like, let's just say, cause I've heard this from other college coaches let's say, uh, you know, I could go and get a high school kid who's unproven or I could go and get a kid who has, you know, had the college experience. Uh, he knows, he knows the routine. He knows what to expect. He's had some, maybe a little bit of success at the college level. Yeah. And I could get him and bring him in right away. Why wouldn't I bring in the guy who's already had some experience? Yeah, no, I, I totally, I don't knock any school for, for using it. I think it's an incredible tool. Um, it's just not something that, that within our recruiting that we, that we're willing or want to do at this point. And so it has nothing to do with, you know, not liking the transport. I think transport is great. I think it's good for, you know, guys to be able to find a fit that that's good for them. Um, we just want to, you know, to bring in high school guys and, and develop those guys. And, and that's just kind of our style. That's our MO. That's what we want to do. Um, and so that's, that's why we, we do what we do. I think that transport is an, an awesome resource I've seen you know, it worked for a lot of schools, right? I mean, there's a lot of schools that, that use it and, and utilize it well and are smart with it and, you know, bring in the right guys. And so it definitely can, it can work for sure. Um, just that, just not something at this point that, that we're, you know, willing to, you know, to get into right now. But that's not to say it wouldn't happen down the road or it couldn't happen in certain spots where, 
like you said, if we're looking at Phil on a, you know, an arm in our, our pitching staff, maybe it, maybe it, you know, it is better to go and get a, a transfer guy because he can be a, a potential plug in and, and pitch versus the high school guy that, that hasn't done it at the college level yet. And so, yeah, there's definitely pros and cons to it. No question about it. No question about it. It's, well, it's, it's, it's crazy how many, I mean, I forget, I think there's 12 or 1300 players in that thing right now. I know, I know, I know. It is, it is crazy. It I is mean, crazy. do you think that there's that many players who, when they, they, they went to college and then the experience they got was so dramatically different than what they anticipated that they're like, I got to get out of here. Yeah, I mean, I think that that happens in some ways. Um, I, w- I was just talking to somebody this weekend about, um, you know, the landscape of travel baseball right now. And um, I think that that, that that stems into the college game as well. So a lot of guys, like guys who are playing on a travel team, maybe they're not playing the position they want. Maybe they didn't get enough at bats. They're just going to go to another travel team, right? And that's kind of like how society is right now. If you're not getting what you want, I'm going to go, we're going to go somewhere else to get what I want, right? And so... I think there obviously are some cases where guys are in a situation that was not what they were told. Maybe it's, there was something that happened and, and you know, transfers to a, a new school that fits what they want. I, I think that that's great. I think that honestly, the, a lot of the, the transfers are because guys are unhappy. They, they think they should be playing, you know, they want to play more. They don't like something or whatever. And so they're, they're just going to jump ship and, and go somewhere else just like they did and, 15 new travel ball to 16 right right? like there are some guys who are playing for three or four different travel programs in the course of six years where you know when I was growing up I played on the same travel team from you know 10u to to 18u and a lot of the guys that I played with were in that same boat um and so I think that that probably has you know a a little bit of effect on it too just uh the, the idea that if you don't get what you want just go somewhere else instead of like sticking your nose and fighting for it working hard um you know and trying to get it at the place that you started at but like I said there are some cases where guys need a, a change of scenery and that's that's completely okay and, and and up to them and you know they should do that if that fits fits for them but you know we we want guys you know to fight for for what they want and to continue to work and, and and try to get better to to get the spot and get the job that they want so instead of you know jumping ship and, and getting it somewhere else but yeah. yeah yeah that doesn't it doesn't help the the culture of the the team for sure. You know, you guys, right. you got guys jumping left and right. It's funny you mentioned that because I, I had a, a couple of new high school kids this past week and we were talking in the cage and, and they they told me that they had been with the same organization, travel organization for five years. And it dawned on me, I was like, wow, like that's rare. I very rarely hear that anymore mm-hmm. that you've been to get someone has been with the same organization for four or five years. Cause like you said, it's just, it's kind of just this, it's like a norm now. You know, you right. just jump from team to team and I don't know, I don't even think twice about it anymore. Right. And, and honestly, we look, at, we, we do look at that stuff oh, like dear. in our recruiting. I mean, we're going to, we, we want to see, you know, what guys have done, um, where they've been, who they've played with, um, you know, and if they did leave a team, I mean, we'll ask them, well, we've asked plenty of recruits like, Hey, why'd you leave this organization? May try to talk to a high school coach, you know, or, or something like that, that, that could get some information. Um, you know, but when you have a limited amount of scholarships, like, like we have in, in a lot of schools, in our conference have, you can't miss on those guys. Right. And so, you know, if they've, if they've played on three different summer teams in, in five years, I want to know why, I mean, were you treated poorly? Was there something that happened that made you leave or did you just leave because you didn't like the situation, didn't like the position you were playing or, or the position that 
that coach felt like was best for, for you or that team. And so we, we honestly do look at that. I think that's a, a really big part because that, again, is going to, you know, it, are they going to do that when they get here? Are they going to, if they don't like something or not playing, are you going to leave? Um, and so we, we want to try to find guys that have, have planted roots on a team or program. And, and, you know, we feel like those guys fit our culture best and are going to be the ones who, you know, stick it out maybe when, when things aren't going their way, you know? So we do look at it a little bit, you know, for sure. That's good stuff. I'm glad you, glad you mentioned that for uh, the players and parents who are going to be listening to this. Yeah. Um, Troy, Troy, last question I have for you. Why yeah. would someone want to come play uh, university of Finley? Wow. That's a really good question. Um, I think that you guys would want to come play at the university of Finley because they they know that they're going to get coached. Um, we are very involved in, in the coaching part. We all three of us love to do it. We're high energy guys. Um, so you're going to come here and get coaching. You're going to, you're going to get better. Um, but kind of like what we talked about earlier, like you're going to have a group of guys that care about you, you know, more than just on the baseball side. We want to get to know you. We want to, you know, grow relationships over a course of four or five years with you, um, you know, pour into you in other, in other avenues. Uh, and so, you know, that, that's something that I think is really important to, you know, recruits as you're going into a, a situation you want to, obviously you want to be coached and you want to get better, um, you know, but I think you want to be able to have good relationships with, you know, your coaching staff. Obviously you want to have good relationships with the, the other guys on the team um, because that just helps your experience. But, um, you know, guys would, would want to come. To, and I think honestly that, that that's why we've, you know, we've got a really good recruiting class coming in in, in this 22 class. And, and that's kind of been one of the things that a lot of them have said, you know, throughout this process is that they've enjoyed getting to know us and are looking forward to getting, you know, to know us more. They like the culture, you know, they, they know that they're going to be coached and pushed, which is, is a big part of, of what we do kind of in practice setting. But, um, you know, ultimately, you know, you're going to come to a program that um, everybody on the team and every, every member of our, our staff cares about you as a person. And so that, and cares about you as a student and player as well. So that's kind of the, the three main areas that, that we're looking at recruiting, um, you know, being a good person, being a good student and, and being a good baseball player. And, and we won't sacrifice any of those things for another. So if a guy is incredibly talented and, you know, not a good person or not a good student, you know, that's not somebody that we want to have around. We want to, you know, build a, a program that, you know, is rooted in, in those three things. And, and obviously they're going to see that from, you know, how we communicate with them um, and, and, you know, the things that we're going to do with them off the field as well. Awesome. Awesome. Troy, I appreciate it, man. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, Glad we got to connect and um, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll uh, cross paths, you know, hopefully this summer somewhere. Absolutely. Patrick, I really appreciate you having me out. Thank you very much.